I am Angus McGruther. And I'm Marla Gedia. And this is episode 18 of Auslander. Conversations with Aussie creatives living in Berlin. This is our first guest for our new season. And we got to sit down with Leo, or I got to sit down yeah, with Leo. Yeah, I was a, so bummed. Um, I, I was in Australia, so yeah. I didn't get to actually meet him. But Angus got to sit with Leo. Yeah, he <laughs> is a, um, I'm sure you've heard of him, a very accomplished singer-songwriter from uh, from Sydney originally, um, or originally he's uh, Israeli. Israeli, yeah. And has uh, been in Australia I think since he was 10 or yeah. something, right? Yeah. And he was in Berlin because, um, and the way I got in contact with him is my school friend, Philippa Allen, who is a music manager of in the classical music world. She um, was organizing an event or a concert with Lior and um, he's done some work with the Sydney Symphony Orchestra. So she has connections in the, in the classical world and... Um, and Lior is not just a pop artist, but he, you know, he's a very accomplished musician in all streams of music. So that's how I got his contact, and I set everything up for Angus, and I'm and the bigger fan. <laughs> yeah, you had you had to go back to Australia for a few weeks. Yeah, um, and just unfortunately the timing it just didn't, didn't match. work out. Um, but I was lucky enough to sit down with Lior, and um, I, I also got the chance to see him live couple of times they um, after, tri- after you recorded well the him. night before we did the our episode I, I went to see the um, his concert at the Australian Embassy that's right and then he did also a private concert um, later in that week at, oh, um, nice. at an apartment of like a living room some concert. amazing Italian architect who designed oh. this beautiful apartment and the living room was basically a concert space and she wow. had this um, you know, big curtains that went over the, the walls to make the sound mm. better. And it was just incredible. Oh, cool. Um, so that was a, a beautiful moment. And, um, and yeah, got a chance to get to know Leo a bit. And wonderful person and very talented musician. So I hope we can get him back on when you're here. Yeah, I think back. he's coming back in October. So we'll see if he has some time. But enjoy the episode. This is Leo. Leo, thanks for coming by and catching up. A pleasure. Um, this isn't your first time in Berlin, is it? No, but it's only the no. second. <laughs> so, oh, really? Yep. Okay. Still finding my way around. So when was your first time here? It was only late last year. Came and okay. did a few shows for the first time, yeah. Okay. What was your impression? It would have been winter, right? Um, yes, it was winter. It was getting cold. My, my impression, uh, I think the, the, uh, diversity of the city was, was great. It maybe didn't expect it to be as diverse, but also, um, you know, made me realise how little I know about the east and west. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, kind of, kind of inspired me to go and look into the history of it. You know, beyond forty-five. Yeah, yeah. That's a funny thing about Berlin is that you have so many layers of history. Like you've got the war, and then you've got Cold War, and then you've got like pre that. You know. That's right. So um, yeah, it can be quite overwhelming. <laughs> but sure. then you've also got this artistic layer on top yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, but you grew up in Sydney. Sydney, yeah. Originally from Israel, I was born in Israel, and at the age of ten, uh, my family relocated to Sydney. Mm-hmm. Okay, and now live in Melbourne. Your whole family? Oh, you're in Melbourne now. Yeah. Okay. Do you have this 
preference melbourne versus no Sydney. i love both cities i don't yeah. buy into the comparison i think they're both great and i'm i'd actually be more than happy living in either <laughs> yeah yeah i guess they're, they're good for different reasons too like, yeah exactly you know yeah because i'm from sydney i love the beach but there's something about melbourne too that pulls for sure you know um what was that like though moving at age 10 from israel to australia was that a huge culture shock yeah it was more than i expected actually um i didn't you know i was 10 and i didn't really know where i was going and um, I think the biggest thing for me was going from a country that was very Mediterranean in its yeah. pace of life and its sense of space as well, you know, growing yeah. up in apartments and, you know, in and out of the neighbor's door and, you know, playing out in the street till dark and, you know, it was that kind of thing and suddenly living kind of in suburbs and having to sort of ride a bike to meet a friend and the social glue as well I found a little trickier to navigate as yeah. well, um, you know, wasn't... I don't think Australia was as warm a place as well when I came okay. in, the, in the 80s. I think multiculturalism has done a lot to warm it up since then. Sure. Um, and yeah, and my, my English wasn't very good either. So yeah. the first year was kind of challenging. Yeah. And w- when did music become a key part of your life? Was it as a kid already in that, mm-hmm. in that phase? or that, that was sort of the cusp of when I started. Like actually I... I felt this overwhelming desire to to learn how to play guitar right around the time we were moving um and ended up having my first guitar lesson here oh when i say here in australia Australia, um and that was the beginning and then you know i I actually learned guitar for a few years and it was only about the age of about 13 that i discovered singing and and once I, i wasn't very good at singing when i started but it i it just felt right it felt like this is this is actually the Sort of best expression I have as a mm-hmm. as a uh, human being, you know, and later on as an artist, yeah. Yeah, and it was always guitar. Yeah, so the guitar then kind of took a back seat and accompanied me, but because I studied classical guitar for a few years, it gave me a, a good grounding on on both hands to use, you yeah. know, not just strumming but finger picking, and and I then became interested in you know to see what I could um, play on the guitar and then weave vocal melodies around that and you know still to this day while i've branched out and done a lot it's the the just that relationship between voice and guitar yeah uh, lyric and melody that's still the you know i regard as the core of what i do yeah awesome um so you came to germany this trip with um it's a residency yeah it's part of an artist in residence program and i came over with paul grabowski yes the pianist yeah Yeah. who we saw just for the listeners um we saw this amazing intimate show with leo and um and paul paul yeah who's um he's accompanying you on this trip and you're focusing on the compassion project we're doing a mix of stuff yeah um so the the show with paul is really about taking a collection of my songs and kind of reinterpreting them on piano because as we've spoken about usually the songs are written on guitar and presented on guitar and so Paul approached me and said, you know, it'd be interesting to just put away the guitar and see what we could do with piano and voice. And yeah. I'd never done that. So for me, that's been a beautiful exploration of just standing and delivering a lyric, you know, and, yeah. and being able to just more hone in on that because I don't have to worry about all this stuff. Yeah, the focus of guitar. Um, but as part of that also, um, I'm here uh, rehearsing with uh, an orchestral ensemble, uh, an orchestral work called Compassion that I wrote with Nigel Westlake. Mm-hmm in the hope of um, premiering it in Germany maybe next year. Yeah. Yeah, I want to talk a bit about that because that's something I was reading a bit about. Um, you went, it started in Sydney. You did the Opera House. Yeah. Then you went around different states with different state orchestras. Yeah. 
and then it even went to the states mm-hmm. to the u.s so how did that was that something that you knew from the beginning or was that something that kind of unfolded throughout the project and then the u.s kind of caught on how did that mm-hmm. all it was actually grew very organically and kept surprising nigel and i along the way I mean, just to, to tell the story briefly, you know, I um, was doing a lot of my own touring and um, there's a beautiful ancient Hebrew hymn called Avinu Malkeinu, which and has this haunting melody I heard as a kid. And um, later in life, I kind of looked into the meaning of it and I was taken by this sentence which said, um, instill me with a greater sense of compassion so that I can be liberated. And I thought, oh, that's a really beautiful link between, you know, being a more compassionate person, being a freer person, you know, mm-hmm. compassion sort of paving the way to a sense of inner freedom. And so there were some shows that I closed with an a cappella rendition of this hymn, which I inhabited in, in my own way. And uh, Nigel was at one of these shows. Okay. And afterwards we, we, we met and we were just talking and, um, we entertained the idea of drawing up this kind of epic orchestral arrangement to it, you know, in contrast to the way I was always presenting, I had presented it a cappella. And yeah, we just started working on that and it was really meant as a blueprint. And we, I mean, at the time we thought the ideal scenario would be that we would create like a short work, like seven or eight minutes mm-hmm. and present it to the Sydney Symphony and, and in the hope that they would like maybe present it in a, a festival or a concert of short works. Sure. And we did that and we, we sort of did this demo and we sent it to them and, and then they came back and said, you know, we really love this and we, we'd actually like to commission you guys to do a full-length work, which is like 45 minutes or something. And so Nigel and I were really happy but just freaking out, like what are yeah. we going to do? Yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, I, I thought a lot about the concept and I really, what drew me to present this hymn wasn't so much that it was steeped in relig- a religious kind of history, it was more the universal and humanitarian message that it held. But yet it still sort of held this sacredness, which or spirituality that, you know, these ancient texts sometimes do. And so I came up with a concept of gathering, seeing if I could come up with an ancient Arabic text that might say the same thing to sort of draw from this, you know, other world, which is also so ancient, but is also the, these two worlds that have had this volatile history over yeah. time. And uh, my, my good friend Walid Ali, who's since and become an absolute superstar. <laughs> yeah. um, he helped me uncover a text, and it, it, it said something very similar. And I was taken not only by the similarity in message, but also language as well. I'm a Hebrew yeah. speaker. I don't speak Arabic, but I understood a lot of what was going on. A lot of the key words were very similar. And it sort of just gave me validation to keep going. Mm-hmm. So Nigel and I worked on this this counter piece and and suddenly we had two movements you know one in ancient hebrew one in ancient arabic speaking about the wisdom of compassion and that really was the beginning and we built up a seven movement work uh for orchestra and voice and premiered it with the sydney symphony and it was just the resonance the reaction it had was both nigel and i are still adamant to the day that we neither of us have ever done anything in our career that has had that kind of resonance and Mm. which is pretty amazing when you think that People, the audience mainly don't understand the words I'm saying, yeah. but there's a very strong feeling that it holds. You know, Nigel, Nigel um, describes it as a determined spirituality, and I think that's kind of a really nice, yeah. nice phrase. Um, so yeah, we we and then we're off that show. We uh, were lucky enough to present it with all the state orchestras, and yeah, the Austin Symphony Orchestra had heard about it and invited me over, and I performed it with them and. 
you know, it's a, and it's a work I'd really love to perform in Germany and in Europe. You know, yeah. um, we live in a time where uh, we're in living in the threat of division and people mm-hmm. who are advocating division. And this is really about presenting a work that expresses a, com- a common ground about sure. the wisdom of compassion. Yeah. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how it's received in Germany, you know, in amongst all of the history mm-hmm. and um, and not just, you know, war history, but also what's going on now. Like, yeah. it's so relevant. It keeps being relevant, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but even the sound of it is quite epic. Like that opening piece I just listened to again um, this morning and it uh, it's quite cinematic as well. Yeah. Well, Nigel has a history of not only classical composition but film work. He, he scored um, the movie Babe, you know, which, oh, okay. which is a classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's an incredible composer, not only um, full of feeling but, but so diverse as well. So yeah. I actually think that cinematic background that he has as well as his or classical composition lent itself well to this work. Um, the process was was interesting. I mean, it was I was writing the melodies to these texts and sending them to him a cappella, and he would orchestrate around my vocal, and then oh, wow. send it back, and it went back and forth. That's not really a conventional way of writing together. Neither of us had done that, so yeah. I think we were the e- exploration was exciting for us, and um, we sort of developed this way of working through it. Yeah. And like with your other work, like your your solo stuff, do you have a, a process um, that always works, like a go-to songwriting process or is it sort of uh, um, random random inspired, you know? it's Look, it'll generally start with uh, me dawdling on the guitar and coming up with a guitar series of chord progressions that I like and then singing melodies on top of that. I actually find that part really easy. It's the putting of the lyric on top of it that I find difficult. Yeah. Um, and the reason I mainly find it difficult is because it's sort of easy to sing nonsense, but um, I really look for that beautiful collision between words that just sound at one with the music, but also that mean something. Yeah. It has to mean something to me. And, um, and I, like, I like lyrics that are poetic, mm-hmm. yet have an element of being literal as yeah. well. Um, I think there's a place for abstract lyric writing, but, but it's not, not in my music, I think. Um, I look for a sort of... Uh, a different connection with the audience. Yeah. Um, so it takes me a while to get the lyric right. Yeah. Marla had a really interesting question and observation. She says, um, in my opinion, your music seems to have a, many different influences, yet still all include distinct style, a, a distinct style and voice. So you've got Scatter Reflections, which has hints of the Beatles. Compassion has a whole new cultural influence. And Autumn Flow has inklings of simon and garfunkel mm-hmm. um would you say that each of your albums reflects a particular musical interest that you yeah, have that's at a, the time that's a really good point um they do branch out i do i do like making eclectic albums you know i remember actually when i recorded autumn flow before that i, I put down all the demos to the songs and I, I actually sent them around to the record labels and the, the one biggest feedback i got was that it was too eclectic they sort of was like we don't know what to do with this you know um, and I kind of took that as a compliment right. <laughs> uh, that they couldn't categorize it, you know, neatly in one of the, their, their you know, marketing pigeonhole compartments. Um, and, you know, that really was the beginning of me being an independent artist. I, yeah. I thought oh, I'm getting this feedback and I'm just going to go it myself, you yeah. know. Um, and I think that's part of the reason that album did well is because um, it moves around a lot. Um, and my influences, yeah, they are, they are wide and um, they do come and poke their head out in certain times and probably 
probably make their their um their uh, presence felt in some albums more than others. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the choice to be independent, you you've you've stuck with that with each release, each record. Well, by the time Autumn Flow came out, and I chose into being independent as a necessity initially. Um, I was just enjoying a really beautiful kind of organic connection with my audience. You know, mm. there was there was no marketing or hype behind it. It was like based on a pure connection uh, with the songs. You know, I remember like even with Triple J, I had a lot of airplay and the album was featured and all that grew from people calling in the station. And to me, that was just, I, I sort of preferred it would be like that rather than have twice as many listeners that were weren't as, you know, attached or that sure. are just listening to it because everyone else is listening to it you know yeah. um so that was the the rationale then to stay independent and it, it kind of worked for me was there ever pressure to, to yeah change that? yeah there was because being independent is difficult um you, you kind of really need to be across everything all the time and yeah. you know there's always that challenge of raising recording budgets and all that sort of thing and y- you know so uh which i didn't mind but it takes you away from the creative side and, and then suddenly you're feeling torn between, you know, kind of running running yourself as a sort of entity um, to being a creative artist, you know. So, uh, yeah, there was a bit of pressure, but I'm, I'm glad I chose the independent path. It worked yeah. for me anyway. Yeah, and then you got those ARIA nominations. Well, the funny thing is that ARIA awards and nominations are um, – you know, Australian record industries. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of run and governed by labels. So the, f- the fact that I got a couple was, was kind of nice to be recognised yeah. as an independent artist. There. Did it take you by surprise at the time? or The first time, uh, with Autumn Flight, definitely took me by surprise because I was still trying to figure out what the hell was going on. Yeah. And, you know, and I remember I was nominated for Best Male Artist that year and sort of alongside Paul Kelly and things like that. And I was just like, what, what's going on? Mm-hmm. You know, But I, I do have a, a memory of like rocking up to the Arias and like there's a red carpet and all the other artists were sort of surrounded by publicist teams and stuff and <laughs> being di- being directed to to the media and whatever and i just kind of walked down the road <laughs> not knowing like where to go you know yeah. was, i was just you know I was you really, people uh, sort of shuffling you no around. no yeah. entourage no it was i know it was, that but feeling it's funny i look back at that and laugh mm. at how little i knew but it, there's a sort of beautiful innocence about it yeah yeah we've had a couple of those awkward moments actually at a few events here where you know actors were not super famous but you've got the big german celebrities who are on the red carpet and they've got those people and then yep. because we're going on the red carpet to get into the actual event mm-hmm. and the media is still there and then yep. you sort of awkwardly like do they feel like they should take a picture of us because i don't i'm happy to not take the photo but you like, should just go up to them and say yeah you, you wanted to talk to me yeah yeah yeah. Yep. go on <laughs> the most awkward one was when the photographer did this whole thing of like over here over here and then at the end was like what's your name i was like uh yeah. I actually want to talk to you about your little dabble in acting, um, which came about through Fiddler on the Roof. Mm-hmm. How did that actually happen, the Fiddler on the Roof thing? It was upon invitation. Okay. Um, I've always loved acting, but never, you know, outside of school musicals and stuff. You know? yeah. uh, and music theatre is not really a, a, um, a, an art form that I kind of grew up with, yeah. you know, or, or, or even, uh, you know, would say that I like that much. Yeah. Um, but I was, it came at a time as after the release of my fourth album, Scattered Reflections, and I sort of felt like, oh, okay, you know, for the last sort of 10, 13, 12 years, I've been doing the cycle of writing, recording, touring, you know, promo touring, recording. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, I really need a break. It was almost like a sabbatical. And um, yeah, I had a, an invitation. I, I had a call from the Australian producers of, Fiddler on the Roof, mm-hmm. and um, 
and the director, Roger Hodgman, who's an incredible director and human being, uh, just called me in for an audition. He said, and yeah, so I, I um, went in and uh, he said, I know, I know you're scared, but I think you're going to make a great model, which was a character I played. Mm. And it was just one of the best things I've done, actually. It was, uh, yeah, I sort of fell in love with, with the escapism that you can find when you're in that state of flow of acting, which isn't that dissimilar to music. And I'd never found it in another art form. So, yeah, really glad I chose it. And how long was the season? Did you a six-month season. Okay. Mm. Eight shows a week? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How was that? It was fine. It was. Yeah. I enjoyed it, yeah. yeah. I enjoy sort of – I enjoyed the work and – Great bunch of people, and it's interesting, you know, music theatre and people in that world will tell you this, it's a bubble, you know, because mm. you're living, breathing, eating, working with these people. Yeah. They become your family for that time. And uh, particularly being a solo artist, that uh, was a really nice change to being that sort of really cohesive social yeah. group. Yeah. Did you do much of that at school at all, like musical theatre or no, drama? No, or no, I did a little bit of drama, but okay. yeah. <laughs> so how was, the, how was tackling the acting side of it? That was the part I enjoyed the most. Yeah? Yeah, that was the part I enjoyed the most. And that was the steep learning curve, Yeah, you know. Um, but, yeah, look, I'd never been on stage as anyone but myself, really, mm. in, in a proper production. Yeah. And so I just remember waiting by the wings to go on. And actually, you know, and I remember clearly one of, one of my entrances on stage is I actually have to run on stage as if I've sort of been running for a while, panting, trying to get to, you know. Yeah. Trying to get to Tevye to sort of prove that I'm worthy to, you know, marry his daughter. And um, and I just remember having this feeling of adrenaline going, you know, I'm about, when I cross that line, you know, I am I am Motel, you know, I'm yeah. not Lior who generally walks on stage, says, hi, everyone, thanks for coming, and launches into songs, you know. Mm. That was exciting. And what about any um, film or TV stuff? Would you? Done a little bit of TV, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's all been cameos. Okay. Yeah, I'd, I'd certainly, I'd love to, I'd love to do it. It's a, it's a, an art form that I, I really uh, enjoy. Yeah. yeah, I read somewhere that your son also wants to. Do he's doing a little bit. He's yeah. he made his debut as uh, in one of my uh, video clips, and uh, he's yeah, he's doing a little. So he's little got a bit of the. the he's spark. got a little bit of interest. He's got something. Yeah, yeah he's got a. Sp- I think he's got a spark, but I'm completely unbiased, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Do you think that Berlin's being being quite hyped up at the moment in Australia? Have you heard much about Berlin back in Melbourne? Or it's died down. It was high. I was definitely hyped. Yeah, in, yeah, ten years ago, okay. or maybe even seven or eight. It died I, down because they all came over here. So yeah. maybe it's died down because it's not the latest thing anymore. Right. Yeah. Um, and I know a few artists that came, did a stint, and returned home. Yeah. So yeah, not sure. I think. Um, there is so much culturally going on here. So you know, much, it is, yeah. It is quite, quite astounding. It's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Enough to qualify an Australian artist podcast in <laughs> Berlin. I think so. <laughs> um, yeah, because it's interesting that, you know, a lot of artists that come here from Australia will talk about how um, it might be interesting, you know, to hear what your perspective is as an independent musician, but like a lot of people finding it harder to pursue their art in Australia or <clears throat> say filmmakers, for example, can't get their projects off the ground mm. or musicians just want to come somewhere where they can afford to just yeah. focus on their art. Yeah. Um, and Berlin tends to be that place for a lot of people, mm. which is really interesting, mm. I think. But do you feel that things are changing in Australia or do you feel like there's a lot of support 
for artists? I think they're changing, but slowly, you know, yeah. really slowly. It's you do, you know, when you're here, you do get really get that sense of well, that Australia is a young country that's still forming a cultural identity, sure, and it's yeah. a cultural, it's a culture of multiculturalism that's yeah. still fairly young. Um, you also are aware of the, the the lack of emphasis and support on the arts, and yeah. I think that's it's made some headway in the last you know decade, uh, but it's still got a long way to go. Yeah, I think um, the other thing is the but the reality will remain that Australia is a big country with a relatively small population, and as a touring musician, you have to cover really large distances to play shows. Yeah, you know, true. as opposed to to Europe, where you get in your car and you drive an hour, and that's like deemed a new that's a new city, a new yeah. population. So, um, yeah, it's it's difficult for to to sort of go beyond a certain point in Australia. Yeah. So then, uh, later this year, you're coming back to Europe, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's the plan there? Well, I'm I'm doing a guest vocal um, position with the Australian Chamber Orchestra, who are, are doing a show where they play. A bunch of interpretations of contemporary songs to um, a screening of uh, Bill Henson, the Australian photographer, a screening of his work. Yes, uh, and we're doing a tour in Australia together, and and we'll come and do a show in London. So, okay. just trying to figure out when to come over to Berlin after that. Oh, any time's a good time. <laughs> Although, yeah, winter can be a bit. It is October, so it's uh, actually it's, yeah, October's not dead set winter yeah. yet. <laughs> November's usually the the hardest for me. Is November. It? And January, I would say, because mm. November is like it's starting. So you, you know, the daylight savings is is gone, and then um, you know, coming up towards Christmas when you've got the markets and everything, it's kind of like the magical yeah. vibe in the city. But then once that's done, New Year's in January, everyone's back at work. It's the long wait. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. the wait. Yeah. So um, other than that, what else is what else is coming up for you? Uh, well, there's. Uh trying to think i mean you know there's always writing more writing. more songs you yeah. know i'm is there another album in the works yeah there is another album and i've been doing some writing while i've been here so so getting that together um so really i think i think for me the next little phase is continuing to to work in interesting side projects that mm-hmm. challenge me but it's it's about continuing to write albums and also if you know performing compassion as well and trying to get that that heard in uh, in europe yeah i think that that is something that can actually take well you know its journey will take its own path it sounds like there's always going to be an audience for that um, well thanks you know that's how it's happened till now and yeah. uh, and as you say it's 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 conceptually very strong and uh i think you know and and so relevant i mean it's always relevant but it really does feel relevant yeah. so yeah what about um do you have family back in israel yes and have they heard the compassion yeah, they've heard the recording. There's yeah. an album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, you know, I myself and my family are, you know, very moderate, progressive people, and uh, so it's, you know, there's uh, easy to accept. I think the challenge in Israel is every everything you do there is deemed political. So okay, <laughs> and I'm sort of not interested in that. You know, yeah. the the. Um, the motivation for writing Compassion was not to make a political statement. It was to make a universal, a humanitarian statement that's universal yes. and not specific to a people, religion, or place. Sure. So I'm not really interested in anyone politicizing it. And I, and I, I think it needs to be performed in uh, wider communities that are there to appreciate that message and not 
the people who want to turn that into something political. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I read that some of your philanthropy uh, includes the a Cambodian children's mm-hmm. charity and a friend of mine was working with a Cambodian charity as well. Oh, right. Um, with... Uh, human trafficking and, mm-hmm. and sex trafficking. Yes. So I want to hear a little bit about that work that you've done. Or... Well, that came about because of a, um, an old friend of mine called Tara Winkler, uh-huh. who is an amazing young woman. She's had a Australian, couple of Australian stories done about her in a 60 Minutes. And it's a, she's got a story which I won't go into because it's long and it's uh, winding. Um, but, yeah, she approached me about performing at a, a fundraiser for a, a Cambodian Children's Trust, which is essentially money to uh, save an orphanage. Okay. And I did that. But her journey's led somewhere interesting because through being immersed in the in the world of orphanages has sort of come out realising that orphanages are not the answer sure. to, to curing, you know, a lot of the uh, the problems of that region and of many parts of the world. And so she's now working to eliminate orphanages and try and, and set up more... Because... There's an incredible stat that about 90% of children in orphanages uh, in Cambodia, and I believe around the world, actually do have family that they could be with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, she's shifted her focus to, to um, setting up support services and finding foster homes where necessary for these kids rather than channeling the money into orphanages. Okay. So she's an incredible woman and... You know, I've I've sort of just been there saying, listen, I'm here if you need anything, you know, just just give me a call because I think what you're doing is amazing. Yeah, wow. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, there's so much, you know, on the surface that you hear through organizations, but suddenly someone who's experienced something on the ground, like my friend who went over there and yeah. um, met with kids and met with this woman who had, you know, this, you know, also crazy story Yeah, and seeing how complex it is and... It is complex, and yeah, I mean, there's like there's a whole industry called you know like orphanage tourism, you know, and people yeah. look, look, people sign up and you know want to go and donate or work at an orphanage. They think they're doing the right thing, but when you step back and look at the bigger picture, which yeah. Tara's managed to do, it's like, oh, actually, this this isn't actually doing the right thing, yeah, because it's facilitating a massive mistreatment of these kids who yeah. need to be with their families, yeah. So how many more days have you got in Berlin? So I've only got two or three more days, okay. um, you know, still doing doing some more rehearsals and, yeah. you know, meeting some folks and, yeah, then head home for some uh, some shows. Okay. Um, there's a new work that I've also written with a young composer that the, the Melbourne Symphony are premiering. They have a, okay. a Metropolis series which where they present contemporary work and I've just written a, a, a work which is the first time I've actually dabbled in electronic music. It's a fusion of orchestral and electronic music. Okay with a young composer called Adrian Vincent and we've written a sort of like a life cycle um, piece. So that'll be really interesting, you know, things like that. Um, You know, it's that thing of being in Australia where I've kind of been working now as an artist for about 15 years. You know, you're entrenched and immersed in in communities that give you opportunity to to try interesting things. And, you know, the, the, the pros and cons of coming to somewhere like Berlin is like there's the freshness and excitement of coming somewhere new, but there's also the challenges of sort of starting again and mm-hmm. building building a whole new kind of network of people and opportunities. So, yeah. yeah. And the plan is stay in Melbourne? Stay in Melbourne for now? I, I think for the moment, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's always sort of the, the, the fantasy of maybe relocating to Europe for a while, but so far it's kind of difficult to leave. Yeah. <laughs> 
we got the family, so yeah. yeah. Well, Berlin would have you, I'm sure. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much. Yeah, good yeah, talking to you. Yeah, good luck. Thank you.